You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello to you, bright fellows. Hope you've all had a marvellous fortnight. Come on into my classic movie shack. Hang up your coat on my black and white coat pegs. And shut the door on the bitter blizzard of modern entertainment weather. Weather? Yes, the old imagination not serving too well this merry evening, but hello again to you. I do hope you're all well. Just so you know, I'm shaking up the old format this time, trying some stuff out, shuffling it round, so do stick with it. While you're settling yourselves down on a chair over there, let me ask you a question. How many adjectives does it take to describe a record player? Everywhere you go, across the country trip, or across the street party, you carry the fun with you when you own a Columbia Stereophonic High Fidelity Portable Phonograph. There's a marvelous selection of seven new portable models in smart new color combinations at your Columbia Phonograph dealer from which you may choose. Each one is a masterpiece of design and beauty. How much fun you'll have enjoying all the wonderful new sound of stereo records. Regular records take on new beauty, too, when played on handsome Columbia portables. You'll be amazed at the big console sound that is reproduced by Columbia Portable Stereophonic High Fidelity Marvelous Masterpiece Portable Quality. Stereophonic Sturdy Wonderful High Fidelity Portable Stereophonic High Fidelity Masterpiece Sturdy Sturdy Dine, 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 Dinosaurs. High Fidelity Marvelous Wonderful Quality Masterpiece High Fidelity Phonographs. See them and hear them at your Columbia Phonograph dealer. Maybe you have a question. Well, throw it into the question pot. Strangely, there is no next line. Well, maybe I'll read your question out on the show, or maybe not. Now, here's someone with a handbell. So, let's see what's in the old question pot this time. The first one I pluck from its depths is from Mr. Javier Garcia, who writes... Hey, Adam, have you ever thought of doing relaxation slash meditation podcasts? Every time I play one of your podcasts or Hollywood histories, my wife falls asleep within 10 minutes. She says you have this soothing voice that makes her very relaxed. Yeah, either that, Javier, or or your wife finds me incredibly boring. I tested this theory this week. My children wouldn't go to sleep, so I stood in their room and told them all about the Technicolor process. They went out like a light. Perhaps I should do one of those podcasts that put you to sleep. Be a bit dangerous if you were driving, though, I guess. The next question today is from Layla S., who asks, Dear Adam, since I was four years old, I have been obsessed with nuns. (laughs) I think it was the song of Bernadette that started it all, but I moved on to the sound of music, the nuns story, the trouble with angels, and even the singing nun. I used to pretend my mother's black dish towels were a habit and danced around the house singing nun songs. 
Being Muslim, my parents found this very odd and discouraged my nun obsession, and I had to keep it secret for a while. But now that I'm an adult living on my own, I want to know if there are any good nun movies from Hollywood's golden age that I missed. I remember once a movie coming on television about nuns living in the mountains somewhere and my mother turning it off abruptly. Does this ring any bells? Well, Layla, nun movies, eh? To be perfectly honest, I don't know if nuns plus mountains is really enough to go on, but you may be talking about Black Narcissus from 1947. You have nuns in the Himalayas and it all gets very tense. It's great. I definitely recommend searching that one out. Other films featuring nuns, well, there's The Bells of St. Mary's, Lilies of the Field, Cradle Song, there's Come to the Stable. I guess you could also include Vertigo. For a darker view of nuns, you could try Ken Russell's The Devils from the 70s, which I personally consider a masterpiece, but which is definitely not for the faint-hearted. Anyway, thank you, Layla. Next question is from Eleanor, who asks, Dear Adam, I am desperately trying to find a Carol Lombard movie I watched years ago, but can't remember the name of. In the film, Carol Lombard plays a kind of nurse-slash-babysitter for a little girl who's sick, but there are some gangsters in the house as well. My husband insists I'm thinking of the movie Vigil in the Night with Carol Lombard, or Don't Bother to Knock with Marilyn Monroe as the disturbed babysitter. Did I imagine this movie, Adam? Well, Eleanor, I spent much of 2015 watching pretty much every single Carol Lombard film out there, and I can tell you now that Vigil in the Night does not fit that description. In fact, I cannot recall a Carol Lombard film that sounds very much like that at all, but the film you describe does sound to me very much like Night Nurse, starring Barbara Stanwyck which definitely involves sick children and gangsters in the house. Go and search it out and watch it and let me know. I'm pretty sure that that must be the movie you mean. That film had popped into my head before I'd even finished reading your question. Have at it, Eleanor, and good luck. Okay, let's have one more. This is from Richard Bolter, who asks, Hi, I'm so enjoying your shows and proud to be a patron. Proud to have you, Richard. My question is, where are the old episodes of The Secret History of Hollywood? I only have two showing in my feed. How do I get the others? Richard, the older shows are on the way back. They have been re-recorded, re-edited, re-scored, and generally made better. I can tell you that The Game is Afoot is now a three-part series. Sex in Monochrome is now a five-part series. Hunting Witches with Walt Disney is now a four-part series. A Universe of Horrors is now a ten-part series. And The Adventures of Alfred Hitchcock is now a 29-part series. They pale in comparison to Bullets and Blood, though, which has just been converted into a 36-part series. All of these older shows will be available again soon. I am unfortunately not at liberty to tell you how or where, because I am under strict orders from their new owners who wish to keep that little secret under wraps for just a little while longer. But hold fast and I will let you know as soon as I can. 
And remember, folks, if you have a question and you think you can throw it accurately into the pot, then go to www.attaboyslarence.com and hurl your question to me by scrolling down the homepage. So throw your flipping questions into the shiny question pot. You might hear your question next time. So until then, get your thinking cap on for the question pot. Okay, that's the end. Well, how clever are you feeling? Do you feel like trying to identify a Hollywood legend? Last week's one seems to have foxed a few of you, had a few messages to say that you didn't guess it. Well, snap to attention, prick up your ears, and see if you can guess this time as we play Who the Hell is That Hollywood Legend? As you know, in the case of our mystery celebrity, we get right down to the general questioning, which we will begin with Miss Dorothy Kilgallen. May I assume that you are not the President of the United States? Uh, <laughs> yes, you can assume that, Miss Dorothy. When you walk down the street, do men whistle at you? <laughs> I didn't hear anything. <laughs> Coins in the fountain. <laughs> yes. What? What? The answer is no, Miss Dorothy. One dollar nine to go, Mr. Lewis. Oh, nuts. I didn't hear the voice. Uh, 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 do you have a voice? Yes, you do have a voice. Now I know why the men don't whistle at you. <laughs> Are you perhaps in, in the entertainment world? Dot. That means yes. That means yes. All right. Are you uh, are you known as a singer in the entertainment world? Three coins in the fountain. That means no. <laughs> Two dollars not to known go. As a singer. See why too. Miss Francis. Are you a comedian? Comedian, not comedian. <laughs> not very funny. Well, actually, I must say that uh, we'd say yes, but that is not the entire story. That. All right, uh, then you are a leading man? duck. <laughs> He's a leading man, and is that your favorite song? Uh, <laughs> uh, do you appear in pictures? Looky, 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 looky what you've done to me. Yeah. Uh, the theater? Three coins. <laughs> I'm getting confused May now. I assume that you were not in that picture? <laughs> yes, you may, Miss Arley. Do you do something other than uh, uh, perform as an actor? I mean, do you dance or play a musical instrument? Mm. Hmm. Do you dance? Mm-hmm. Are you known best for your dancing? Mm-hmm. Uh, did you uh, appear in the early part of your career? Uh, with a member of your family? Mm-hmm. And that is all you're going to get, I'm afraid, because the panelists were devilishly clever and got it pretty quickly, I must say. What do you think, though? Any clues? Well, hold on to your guesses for now, because the answer will be coming up later in the show. 
While I have your attention, though, why don't we reveal the winner of last time's Cary Grant competition? Absolutely hundreds of you entered the competition, so thank you for that. The answer was, of course, the peerless Miss Myrna Loy. Most of you got it right, but the random computerizing Generaticon machinimator has extracted the name... Dave Robinson. Dave, you have won the Cary Grant DVD collection. Just send me an email with your full address and I shall have it posted out to you. My commiserations to everyone else who entered, but fear not. Another competition is coming up later in the show. I feel that foolish feeling in my heart. Oh, I am looking forward to telling you about this week's movies. Three absolute crackers on the old list today. The first of these is a very intriguing little British drama from 1939 starring Flora Robson, Robert Newton, and Anne Todd. You know when you read the synopsis of a film and you think to yourself, Oh, that sounds good, I must see that. Well, those are the exact words I uttered when I read the synopsis of this film. Okay, so the synopsis is as follows. The calm of a peaceful English village is shattered when a series of anonymous letters starts being delivered to village homes, containing scurrilous allegations about the recipients and their families. Upstanding and respectable inhabitants find themselves and their loved ones accused in lascivious detail of all manner of moral, sexual, and criminal misdeeds. As the letters continue to arrive with ever more outlandish content, the social fabric of the village starts to fall apart. See what I mean? This is a great movie, and its name is Poison Pen. Daddy! What is it? It's this. Something about David. It's awful. Anonymous. Whoever could do a thing like that, how horrible. Well, you mustn't take any notice of it, dear. No, of course not. But the proper I... place for things like this is... There. That's that. If you're wise, my dear, you won't give it another thought. No, Daddy. But it's disgraceful, don't you think we ought to tell the police? No, no, we don't want scandal. But it must have been someone who knew about David and me. Someone in the village. But everyone's so fond of you, dear. It's absurd to think that one of the villagers... Quick, the postmark! There are a number of reasons why this film is so great. The first one is that it will completely blindside you. You begin by thinking that this will be a very respectable film, full of respectable people, and that good old British fortitude will overcome. That's why it's all the more shocking when that doesn't happen. The gut-wrenching doubt that seems to bleed in at the edges of the film as more and more of these vile letters are received by the village folk will consume you. Neighbours and friends begin to turn on each other. Rumours of affairs are not only believed, but acted upon, and we watch as this picture postcard village in Britain, filled with every type of 1930s British film character cliché, all unleash their darker sides upon each other. And when I say dark, I mean dark. Women are attacked in the street, people are driven to suicide, to murder. The entire community, which begins as a friendly little hive of tea parties and village hall dances, descends into a hell of blank faces and suspicion. Wait a minute. <gasps> oh, it's them! It's the writing! Oh, oh, it's but it's not my writing. I never put them in that box. I never did. Who did then? Us? We know what to do with it. Duck her. <laughs> 
The only person in the village who seems determined to hold the place together is the local reverend who does his best to steer his flock away from drastic measures. But as the letters continue to arrive and as the tragedies continue to appear, even he begins to lose faith. It's a wickedly dark film and, as I say, completely dumbfounded me when I saw it. I was completely gripped. But I will warn you now, don't seek it out if you don't like things bleak because things get very bleak indeed. If you want to watch it, then it has been the film club choice for the past couple of weeks, so I'll leave it there for a little while longer. Brilliant, brilliant film. Secondly today, a radically unusual role for the always excellent Mr. Edward G. Robinson, who in 1944 starred in the wartime comedy drama Mr. Winkle Goes to War. So the clue is in the title. Small town dreamer Wilbert G. Winkle, a timid banker, one day quits his job to pursue his dream of opening a repair shop with the help of his best friend a young orphan named Barry. You mean you're going to be in the shop all the time? Well, that's the idea, Barry. I can't believe it. Of course, there's just one important thing. I'll need some help here. No, a uh, real handyman. Uh, know anybody like that I could get? Well... Uh, it's all right. Don't think too hard. I, I think I know the man I want. Of course, uh... We'll have to consult Mr. McDavid. I mean about uh, coming here every day and uh, putting in regular hours uh, for pay. Me? <laughs> Who did you think? Now, look here, I've got to have an answer. Can I count on you or can't I? Yes, Mr. Winkle. That's the boy. That's the way to talk. You know, business-like. That's the way we've got to be. This shocks his social climber sister, Amy, who demands that he returns the work at the bank or risk her displeasure. The decision is taken out of his hands quite abruptly, though, when he's suddenly drafted into the war, where he puts his considerable skills as a mechanic to good use and joins the engineers. And you want mechanics? Yes. Do you know what you're asking? Uh, to get what you want? means taking a lot of training. That's right. A lot of training. Yes. And I'm not talking about primary training. No, 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 no. Nothing is easier or as simple as that. No. I'm talking about advanced training. Yeah. Combat training. Never let up. That's a tough outfit. I know that. What follows is a kind of late-in-life coming-of-age tale, as Mr. Winkle turns from a mouse into a lion, all thanks to his experiences in the military. Really sweet little film and a great showcase for Robinson, who throughout the 40s proved that he was so much more than just a gangster in a series of outstanding dramatic roles. I keep talking about our vines have tender grapes, but he really is stupendous in it. Also, just look at Scarlet Street, the woman in the window, the stranger, flesh and fantasy, and of course, Night Has a Thousand Eyes. Such a diverse actor. You tend to think of him as a very outlandish, gregarious presence because of Little Caesar, but he also played the quiet types to perfection, as he did here. Mr. Winkle Goes to War is a genuinely sweet movie. It has such a large heart, and I will admit to tearing up a few times, especially towards the end. 
If you're a fan of Frank Capra movies by way of Sergeant York, and if you like watching films about an underdog who comes out on top, then you will most definitely love Mr. Winkle Goes to War. Give it a whirl. Well, there's more to come on this show, another movie to tell you about, in fact. And the identity of the mystery Hollywood legend will be revealed in due course. But first, seeing as how we're currently in the company of Mr. Edward G. Robinson, let's take a trip to the wonderful suspense for the first part of a ridiculously cool story they produced, which starred Edward G. Robinson as himself. That's right, this is a fiendishly good little thriller in which Edward G. Robinson plays not only the hero of the tale, but also himself in a dual role that will be completely ruined if I try to explain it any further. So I will deposit you in the very safe hands of suspense right now, and I will see you in a quarter of an hour or so once you've listened to the first half of a story entitled The Man Who Wanted to Be Edward G. Robinson, you are going to love this. Autolite and its 60,000 dealers and service stations bring you radio's outstanding theater of thrills. Starring tonight, Mr. Edward G. Robinson in Anton Leader's production of The Man Who Wanted to Be Edward G. Robinson. A tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. I, I'm making this statement in accordance with a promise to a very dear friend. It's a complete statement in every detail, even including those matters which are to me personally most incriminating. Because my trust in my friend is such that I haven't the slightest concern on that score, or any other. Uh, uh, what follows concerns primarily two persons. Myself, Homer J. Hubbard, and my wife... Ada Samsey Hubbard. Um, even when I was courting Ada, I was aware that hers was a strong and domineering personality, to say the least. And after we were married, well, at first I put up with Ada's constant nagging and petty persecutions as best I could. I put up with them for 20 long years. It wasn't until a memorable evening a little over a year ago that the first dim outlines of an escape and Finally, a plan began to take shape in my mind. You see, I, I never was much of a one for movies, but uh, Ada and I had gone to see a picture called uh, Little Caesar. It was a reissue, I think they call it, uh, with an actor in it whom I'd never even heard of before. Oh, so you thought you rat on me, huh? Well, get this. Nobody rats on Little Caesar, see? saw that face on the screen. The minute I heard that voice, the world of reality around me simply ceased to exist. I lived that picture. I was Little Caesar. I was Edward G. Robinson. I was dimly conscious that my voice was like his, that even my face without my spectacles and with my hair parted differently might have been mistaken for his, but it was more than that. It was his personality that fascinated me. And that I assumed. Calm, assured, tough. A kind of a man who made people do what he wanted done, the way he wanted it done. Uh, walking out of the movie theater afterward, I knew something had happened that was going to change my whole life. Well, there's a man. 
Yes. Caesar, they call him, mm -hmm. and well they may. Yeah. And that Edward G. Robinson, I'll wager he's no Casper Milk Toast either. <laughs> yes, dear. <laughs> Is that all you have to say? Well, Yes, uh... dear. What does it take to arouse a little enthusiasm in you, anyway? Well, Ada, Here you've seen a fine performance. A yeah. picture that'd get anybody in the world excited. That's and right. all you can say is, yes, dear. Mm -hmm. I wish you were half the man that Robinson is. But from that moment, I no longer really cared what Ada wished to thought. I'd begun my escape into a dream world of my own making. A world in which I was Edward G. Robinson. As the weeks went by, I began to identify myself with him more and more. I imagined myself in countless dangerous situations, and when no one was looking, I imitated him, and I affected his mannerisms. I would start daydreaming at my desk, wondering what the other people in the office would think if I suddenly exposed this hidden side of my personality. Okay, everybody. Uh, stay where you are. You hold, hold your hands over your head. What is this? I don't want any monkey business, see? Now stand back there, Ryan. Why? Any funny stuff from you, and I'll let you have it. Hubbard, this is preposterous. What do you mean by such behavior? Is this your idea of a I joke? You'll see whether it's a joke or not if you make one false move. Now, this isn't a water pistol I'm holding here, you know. Hubbard, you're fired. Leave this office immediately. Well, I'm getting out, all right, but I'm not fired, see? I'm leaving well here, and that's where you come in, Mr. Ryan. Oh, please, please, Hubbard, be reasonable. Now, shut up and do what I tell you. <coughs> Keep your hands up in the air, will you? Walk over to that safe. Open it up. Get all the money out of it and put it right here on the desk in front of me. I, I... Now, get moving. <coughs> I don't want to have any trouble with you, Ryan. I'm going to count three, and if you're not moving when I finish, you'll never move again, see? One. Two. Hubbard. Huh? What are you doing daydreaming? Oh. Better get busy, or I should be forced to report you to Mr. Pemberton again. Yeah. Oh. Oh, I'm, I'm so sorry, Mr. Ryan. I'm, I'm terribly sorry. I can't understand what could have come over me. Well, that's the way it went. At the office, walking down the street, riding home on the bus. My life outwardly calm and well-ordered, possibly even dull. It was actually 24 hours of harrowing adventure with myself as the central figure. I saw every Edward G. Robinson picture that came out. It was the day after seeing Key Largo for the third time that Ada finally caught me. I was lathering my face and talking to myself. Uh, okay, you rat, you asked for it. You don't come out, say, we're coming in and get you, see? And uh, we're coming in shooting, see? What's that? Oh, yeah? And only a dirty yellow rat would say that. Okay, boys, let him have it. Well, I never. Of all the oh. full performances I ever heard oh. of, this beats everything. Yeah. What in the world are you jabbering about in oh, here? Oh, uh, well, uh, it's really nothing, dear Ada. I, I, I was just sort of trying to imitate Edward G. Robinson. <laughs> you were what? <laughs> Edward G. Robinson? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's rich. You trying to imitate Edward G. Robinson? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Don't stop. Don't let me interrupt the performance, Mr. Movie Star. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Do your act for me. Well, well, dear, I, I, I don't see anything so funny about it. Oh, maybe you don't, but you're the only person in the world who wants <laughs> I'll leave you to your rehearsing. Why don't you imitate any Bracken or Margaret O'Brien? I think you'd find it easier. <laughs> it was right then that I decided to kill her. 
For suspense, Autolite is bringing you Mr. Edward G. Robinson in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. I thank you, Suspense. We shall rejoin that story a little later on. After all, the circus is coming to town. Hey, it's coming to town, the great King Brothers International Three-Ring Circus. Ooh, what a thrill. Thrilling acts from all over the world, featuring such outstanding performers as Barbara Fairchild, bareback rider extraordinaire. Bit of bareback there. The Flying Jordans on the Flying Trapeze, all the way from Sweden. The Canastrelli Troupe from Italy. A herd of elephants, 150 wild and domestic animals. A congress of clowns to delight children of all ages. And death. Don't you dare miss this great show. Here is your announcer who'll tell you where you can see the circus. I love that he just leaves you hanging there. There is no announcer, is there? I think he just made that whole circus up, actually. Well, how's about we find out just exactly who the hell that Hollywood legend was? Did you pick up on any clues throughout their brief appearance earlier? I grant you that this one may have been a little difficult because they got it pretty quickly, but let's see if your guesses are correct, shall we? As we find out, who the hell is that Hollywood legend? Do you dance? Mm-hmm. Are you known best for your dancing? Mm-hmm. Uh, did you uh, appear in the early part of your career uh, with a member of your family? Mm-hmm. And was her name Adele? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and are you one of the famous Astaire's? Fred? Fred Astaire's. You first, Dorothy. He's one of the greatest singers He's ever He's a great lived. singer. I have all of this, I have that terrific new album, Mr. Astaire, well, which is very much. Thank you. I, um... I, I, I just don't think so. <laughs> yes, it was the masterful Mr. Fred Astaire. Toe tapper extraordinaire and all-round amazing fellow love Fred Astaire. Well, before we go back to suspense for the thrilling conclusion to today's radio play, I just wanted to tell you about one more movie. This one stars one of the great character actors of the Golden Age, Mr. Frank Morgan, the Wizard of Oz himself. One of those actors whose name always brings a smile to my face if I see it in the credits list. In 1943, he was elevated from character actor to leading man in the film A Stranger in Town, which tells the story of a Supreme Court judge, John Josephus Grant, played by Morgan, who decides to go incognito, so that he can enjoy his vacation in a sleepy backwater town where he plans to do some fishing. Hey, you! Wait a minute. I'm Warren Todd's game inspector. Let's see your license. Yeah, just like I thought. Stranger in town, ain't you? This license ain't legal. Well, I just bought it yesterday at the state capitol. Yeah, I know, mister, but this is Crownport, and you got to have a Crownport stamp on there. Well, I didn't know that. I'll get one tomorrow. Yeah, but it ain't going to do you any good today. You know, I, I could haul you into court and let the judge slap a fine on you. But to save wear and tear on my tires, suppose I sell you one right here. It only cost you five bucks. You know, the five bucks is just for the stamp. I usually get a little something for my trouble, too. 
Well, you don't understand. I'm giving you a break, brother. Yeah, I never pay off twice, brother. Come on. Well, well look, let me explain it to you. Unfortunately for Grant, though, the town he's chosen, Crown Port, is run by a stable of crooked politicians and lawmen who are bleeding the town dry to line their own pockets. The only decent man in town seems to be local attorney Bill Adams, played by Richard Carlson, who wants to clean the whole mess up and install himself as mayor. Can Judge Grant help Adams to tidy up the town of Crownport without giving away his identity? I think we all know the answer to that one, don't we? Stranger in town? Yeah. Aiming to stay long? Long enough to get a shave. Great little town, isn't it, old-timer? Yeah. yeah, Judge Hartley really gave you a welcome, didn't he? And our constable, Oren Todds, that's, uh, that's Homer's cousin. Uh, he's all law and order. Regular minute man, isn't he, Homer? Uh, how many minutes did it take before he tried to shake you down? You know, Mr. Uh, Grant, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, Mr. Grant, might be fun to bust up one of the constable's little rackets. How about being a guinea pig? Let me turn this into a test case. Great little film, actually. One of the many quickies that MGM turned out in the early 40s, but it definitely deserves a look despite its brief running time. First off, it's excellent to see Frank Morgan get the leading role. I would watch Frank Morgan eating sandwiches for an hour, let alone covertly trying to help an idealistic lawyer clean up a lot of small-town corruption. It reminds me greatly of a Frank Capra film, second film today to reek of Capra, in fact. If the film had ended and I'd seen that Frank Capra was in some way involved in its production, then I wouldn't have been surprised in the slightest. The ending, in particular, is pure Capra. Just wait and see. He wasn't involved, though, I must add, but the point is, if you like a little Capra in your life, then you will love this film. It's actually in the public domain, so you can watch this film on YouTube if you like. It's called A Stranger in Town. I thoroughly recommend that you do so. A real classic. Heartwarming, exhilarating, fun film that had the sense to cast the peerless Frank Morgan in the lead. Great movie. Okay, time to see how Homer's plan worked out for him then as we return to suspense for the second half of today's radio thriller entitled The Man Who Thought He Was Edward G. Robinson. Very meta. I will see you in a few minutes with a competition. And now, Autolite brings back to a Hollywood soundstage Mr. Edward G. Robinson in The Man Who Wanted to Be Edward G. Robinson. A tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. I might have decided to have Missy on her if she'd only let me alone. But Ada could never leave anyone alone. She ridiculed me at home and in front of our friends. Sometimes she'd let a few weeks go by without saying anything, and I would think that perhaps she had forgotten. No, Ada never forgot. She would wait until we were in a group of people, and then she would come out with it. Well, my dear, you mean I haven't told you? About Homer's dream world? No. He thinks he's Edward G. Robinson. Edward? Oh, oh no. <laughs> do tell us, Mr. Homer G. Robinson. When do you think you'll be getting your next contract from Hollywood? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you folks have got Homer all wrong. He's a killer at heart. Oh. Just a cold-blooded killer. <laughs> <laughs> 
you're going to carry it on your person. Oh. Otherwise, we just register it for the police records under your name. Oh, yeah. What's the name? Uh, oh, uh, uh, Edward G. Robinson. I, I, I beg your pardon? You heard me, Mug. Edward G. Robinson. See? I had made my plans uh, very carefully. My plan was that uh, her murder would look like suicide. It would be a night when the moon was full so that I could see a head on the pillow and aim carefully. I would fire the shot through the temple, quickly wipe my fingerprints from the handle of the gun and then push it into her hand. And as the shocked and bereaved husband, I would call Dr. Wallace. The police wouldn't come until later and when they did, I would be ready for them. I was so busy laying my plans that I hadn't been reading the papers and had to be told the big news. Homer! Hmm? Oh, I beg your pardon. Mr. Robinson. Oh, please. <laughs> Would you mind passing the spinach? Yeah. That is, if you're not too preoccupied with planning your next murder. Oh, please, please, Ada. <laughs> yeah, held up any banks lately, Homer? <laughs> uh, here, here you are, dear. <laughs> oh, say, that reminds me, all kidding aside. Did you know that he's going to be here next week? Who? Edward G. Robinson. What? He's going to address the hobbyist convention. Oh, is that so? Yeah, sure. Well, I, I, I'd like to hear him. I would, too. Oh, I'd love to see what a real He-Man is like. Not just a poor imitation. We went. And at first, it was the most terrible disappointment of my life because he wasn't tough or hard-boiled or anything like it. He seemed to be a mild-mannered little fellow, a little shy, <laughs> almost like me. And he talked about orchids and modern art. They were his hobbies, he said, raising orchids and collecting paintings, modern paintings. Yes, but as the lecture went on, <laughs> I began to understand. <laughs> By the time it was over, I, I knew. <laughs> and so, ladies and gentlemen, I consider myself twice blessed. Every man is blessed who has a hobby, but I am among the fortunate few who have two hobbies. And as the fellow said, whose fiancée had a twin sister, I love them both. <laughs> thank you, thank you very much. Later that evening, I made an excuse to get away from Ada and went down to the hotel where I knew Mr. Robinson was staying. I bribed the bellboy, $1.75, to tell me which was his room. I went down the hall and knocked at the door of 708. Yeah? The Western Union. Come on in. Just put it on the... Well, say, Western Union dresses their boys up pretty snappy in this town, don't they? <laughs> I, I, I must apologize for adopting the subterfuge, Mr. Robinson, but... I have something of the utmost importance to discuss with you, and I was afraid you might not see me since, well, we've never been formally in introduced. <laughs> formally introduced? Why, <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> what is it, uh, autograph? Uh, I'm, I'm afraid it's, it's something a good deal more serious than that, Mr. Robinson. Yeah? 
Well, you caught me right in the middle of shaving, as you see, but if you don't mind my finishing the job while you talk, why, uh, come right along inside. Tell me all about it. Thank you. Well, now, <clears throat> what's on your mind? Well, uh, Mr. Robinson, I have a problem, and I feel you are the person best fitted in the world to tell me what to do. That's so? Well, uh, what is the problem? Uh, uh, Mr. Robinson, uh, suppose... Of course, this is purely hypothetical. Uh, but suppose you were going to kill somebody. Kill somebody? Yes, in, in, in your own home, somebody who is, uh, shall we say, related to you. Yeah, now, hold on a minute, uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Uh, Hubbard. Homer J. Hubbard. Uh, Mr. Hubbard, I may look like a bad guy on the screen, but when I'm not working, I'm just a plain, peace-loving citizen like anybody else. Oh, 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 you, 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 you can fool people like that audience tonight with all that talk about orchids and modern art, and it was very good, and I quite understand why you do it. A man in your position must have a, a front, of course, but you didn't fool me. I didn't, huh? Well, I, I know, uh, rather, I, I knew I, I could come to you and be perfectly frank. Yeah, about what? Why, uh, about the murder. About the what? Look at me, Mr. Robinson. I'm a shy, inhibited, weak, utterly ineffectual person. I have none of your assurance, your hardness, your ability to cope with any situation, the direct, ruthless way. Yeah? Well, uh, uh, how many times I, I wished I had, because for 20 years my life has been made horribly, unbearably miserable by one person, my wife. Oh, so that's the way it is. Yes. For years, I bore it as best I could. And then one day I thought, how would you have coped with it? And of course, I knew at once, you would kill her. Here, now, wait a minute. Are you kidding me? Oh, no, no, Mr. Robinson. I, I wouldn't think of such a thing. Look, look here. I, I've even secured a gun to do it with. Hmm? Uh, yeah, here, you better give me that. No, no, don't point it. Well, hand it to me by the barrel. Here. Well, put it over here. <laughs> Safer, you know. Yeah, I, I must admit I, I, I know very little about firearms, and they're, they're quite distasteful to me. Yes, you and me both. You, Mr. Robinson? Well, I mean, uh, uh, small arms like that. Of course, a uh, Tommy gun, that's different. That's the only thing to use. Yeah, I suppose you're right. But I, I didn't know where to get a Tommy gun. <laughs> I was afraid even if I did, I'd never master the art of using it. Yeah, well, uh, now you want to kill your wife, is that it? You want me to help you? If you would, Mr. Robinson, if you could spare the time, I, I can't tell you how grateful I'd be. Yeah, well, you know, Mr. Hubbard, you, uh, well, you look like a pretty nice little guy. Your wife must really be an old battle axe to have got you in a frame of mind like this. All right, now I'll tell you what I'll do. I will help you. Oh, Mr. Robinson. Yes, but uh, it's got to be done my way, see? It's uh, got to be done right. You've got to plan these things. Yeah, now, uh, take this gat, this little flea, for instance, that you got over there. That's no kind of a rod to kill your wife with. Why, the uh, uh, caliber is all wrong. The uh, ballistics would be all wrong. Sticks would be on your trail just like that. Now, I uh, got a gat home that's perfect for the job, get me? I've knocked off Orson Welles, Jimmy Cag. Oh, I don't know how many guys with this. Now, the uh, first thing when I get home, I'll send it to you, parcel post, see? 
Oh, it's you, Mr. Robinson? Oh, sure, sure. Now, when you get it, just lay low, see? Now, don't do a thing till you hear from me. I'll lay this thing out for some of my boys, and then I'll get in touch with you, okay? Oh, yes, Mr. Robinson. I don't know how to thank you. Ah, forget it, pal. What's a little moiter between friends? I could, I could scarcely maintain my composure in the two days that followed. The second day, sure enough, the gun arrived. It was a great, heavy thing. The kind that's referred to, I think, as uh, an automatic. Remembering its history, I handle it with the utmost care and reverence. I hid it in the garage where I keep my pipe that Peter won't let me smoke in the house. It was the next afternoon, a Saturday, that the phone rang. I rushed into the bedroom to answer it and close the door after me so Ada wouldn't hear in case it was. Hello, Homer. Yes? Uh, this is Eddie. Eddie? Yeah, yeah, you know, Eddie Robinson. Oh, yes, yes, Miss... Uh, uh, Eddie... That uh, package I sent you? Oh, oh yes, yes, I, I got it. Okay, but uh, don't fool around with it, will you, until the time comes. Kind of tricky. Oh, no, 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 I won't. Now, uh, listen, the uh, deadline is tomorrow night. Midnight, got it? Yes. Now, here's the layout. Tomorrow night, you go to bed, just as always, but uh, have that cat handy and leave the front door open, see? I, I, I understand. Oh, uh, say, uh, wait a minute, I meant to ask you, is it uh, safe to talk where you are? Oh, yes, yes. The phone's in, in the bedroom and the door's closed. The bedroom, huh? That's uh, well. Well, now, uh, listen. Uh, a little before midnight, you get up, see? When she's asleep, you uh, take a spot just outside the bedroom door, see? Where you can keep an eye on her and on the front door, too, see? Yes. Well, at uh, midnight, I'll contact you. We'll do your job and then make a quick getaway and you can hold up and hide until the heat's off. Get it? Tomorrow night, midnight. Uh, I'll do everything just as you say, Eddie. I followed his instructions to the letter. Oh, seemed hours before Ada went to sleep that night. Seemed days until my watch finally crept around towards midnight. But at last, the time had come. I crept out of bed, got the gun out of my coat pocket, and took my position on the landing outside the bedroom door as he had told me to. And then suddenly, suddenly the phone rang. The plan was ruined. Even Edward G. Robinson couldn't have foreseen this. I, I rushed back into the bedroom, hoping against hope that I could catch it before Ada woke up. But she already had the light on. Homer! What in the world are you doing prowling around at this time of night oh. with a gun in your hand? Why, I... I, I thought I heard a burglar. Burglar? Mm. When I've answered this phone, I want to talk to you, Homer Jeremiah Hubbard. Yeah. Hello? Yeah. Yes. What? Hmm? Oh. What? Homer, there is a burglar. Is there? Someone just saw him trying to get into the house. Oh, are you sure? Of course I am. A man just phoned that he saw the burglar. Well, don't just stand there. Yeah, no. You've got a gun. Go on yeah. down and stop him. Yes, but, but Ada... Go on. Do you want us to be killed in our beds? No. Go on, I say. Oh, wait. Why do you have to spoil everything? There was nothing to do but go. I crept down the stairs in the darkness. I knew what Edward G. Robinson would have done. 
He would have gone down and captured the burglar without the slightest trouble and turned him over to the police after giving him the beating he deserved. But somehow I, I didn't feel much like Edward G. Robinson just then. It was at that moment that the terrible thought occurred to me that maybe it wasn't the burglar. Maybe this was Edward G. Robinson. I had no time to pursue the thought further. Let him uh, have it! Uh, Suddenly, suddenly, there was a barrage of shots and a confused yelling of voices. In my terror, I suppose I must have squeezed the trigger of my own gun because it began jumping and jumping in my hand. I tripped on something, and the next thing I knew, I was tumbling headlong down the stairs, and that was the last I remember. When I woke up, Ada was holding my head in her arms, and she was crying. They made me stay in bed for a couple of days, but uh, I really didn't mind. There were reporters to see me and take my picture for the paper, and all kinds of people. <laughs> Even Mr. Ryan and Mr. Pemberton came to see me, and Ada? Well, Ada was simply a changed person. Nothing was too good for me. My slightest wish was literally her command. If the whole thing hadn't been an accident, if I'd planned it that way, it, it couldn't have turned out better. And then... Then as the final climax that afternoon when the phone rang by my bed. Yes? Oh, yes. Uh, Eddie? You did, you did, huh? Oh, nothing, nothing, really. Yes? Oh. Well, uh, um, about that, uh, 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 things have changed. Oh, yes, they, they've changed quite a lot. Uh, I don't think we'll have to uh, go through with it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, sure, sure, she's right here. Just a minute. Eddie wants to talk to you, Ada. Eddie? Yeah, Eddie Robinson. Quite a pal of mine. <laughs> you mean Edward G. Robinson? Oh, yes. He, we uh, had uh, quite a little chat that night. He was in town after I left you. He got pretty chummy. Uh, yeah, go on. Uh, hello? Hmm. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, Mr. Robinson. Oh, I know he is. Oh, I certainly will, Mr. Robinson. Yes, yes, I know I'm very lucky. All right, Mr. Robinson. Goodbye. Oh, Homer, mm. he knew all about it. He'd seen it in the papers. Yeah, so he said. <laughs> and he said you were a hero. Mm. A real hero. Bigger than any movie hero that ever was. He did, huh? <laughs> oh, Homer. Well, if Eddie Robinson says I'm a hero, uh, I guess maybe I am. Couldn't have turned out better, Eddie. You know how grateful I am. I'm a regular little Caesar around town now, and my married life is all I've ever wanted to be. Of course, there are some things about the whole thing that confuse me a little. It has even occurred to me, I'll, I'll confess, that you might have had a, more of a hand in it than was generally known, and that the gun you sent me might have contained blanks, I, I believe you call them, because in spite of all the shooting, there wasn't one bullet hole anywhere in the house. And the gun had disappeared, which confused the police somewhat, too, and... The burglars might have been some of your boys playing a little joke. But I don't think you would do a thing like that to a pal, Eddie. Would you? I don't even think you would use the statement that you asked me to send you to hold over my head as a guarantee that I wouldn't try to kill Eddie again. Now, not, not that I ever would. Yes, but even if you did all that, Eddie, I don't really mind. Because as you might say yourself, what's a little joke between pals? Mm -hmm. 
And that was the awesome Edward G. Robinson in The Man Who Thought He Was Edward G. Robinson for Suspense. Great stuff. So how would you like to win some more swag? I told my patrons this on the last patron show, but basically I chose the name The Man in the Shadows for the upcoming Val Luton Secret History episodes. Makes sense, right? Good name for the thing, because the films are all about shadows and he was the man behind it all. Turns out that that was too good a choice. There is already a documentary about Val Luton called The Man in the Shadows, which was produced by Martin Scorsese some years ago. Who knows, maybe I saw it somewhere and subliminally copied it. I didn't do it on purpose and I shall of course be changing the name of my show to something else. In the meantime though, I have procured a copy of The Man in the Shadows which is very good, and I'm giving it to one of you. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes, which will take you to the competition page on the website, or you can visit attaboyclarence.com directly and look for the competition page on the left. Once you arrive, you will find an image from a Val Luton film. All you have to do is identify that film and send me your answer by using the form you will find there. Hurry off and do it as soon as the show finishes. And that brings to a close this episode of Attaboy Clarence. Thank you for joining me. I'll be back in a fortnight with more classic movie goodness. If you feel as though you'd like more, then you can sign up to become a patron by listening on to the end of this show. It's very easy and there's tons of bonus content there for you if you do. It just remains for me to say thank you for listening. Take very good care of yourselves, and bye for now. If you'd like to support this show, you can do so by going to www.attaboyclarence.com and clicking on the Patreon banner. Pledges start from as little as $1 a month, and in return you'll receive exclusive emails, bonus episodes, previews, and ebooks. And every dollar pledged goes towards making these shows better and more frequent. Go to www.attaboyclarence.com or click the link in the show notes now to become a patron. Thank you. Spend less time staying in the know about all things gaming and more time actually watching and playing what you want with the IGN Daily Update Podcast. All you need is a few minutes to hear the latest from IGN on the world of video games, movies, and television with news, previews, and reviews. So listen and subscribe to the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. That's the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts.